today on Ag News Daily. People have been asking us a lot lately since we launched the Kickstarter, well, what does goat taste like? It actually is, I think, uh, much milder than lamb in many cases. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Delaney Howell, one of the hosts for the Ag News Daily Podcast, and it's just me today flying solo. Mike is in Indianapolis, I believe, today, giving a speech to a group of... Well, I'm not sure who the speech is for today. He's going to be talking here in Des Moines tomorrow, and he'll be back tomorrow, but it's just me today. It is a beautiful day here in central Iowa, a nice fall, nice crisp fall day, so going to be getting into some news here, but we're interested. We want to hear some stories from farmers or really just some updates about how harvest season is going for you guys this year. If you have any pictures, comments, would like to share how harvest is going, please find us at Ag News Daily on Facebook and on Twitter, or feel free to send us some pictures. You can contact us directly on the website, or you can email us as well. Mine is Delaney at Ag News Daily, and Mike is just Mike at Ag News Daily. So feel free to share with us some pictures there. We'd love to get some content, get some conversations going this year about how harvest is going. But we've got to get into some news today because we've definitely got some big news going on. The first thing I want to kick it off here with is some trade news. We've got quite a bit today, surprisingly, on uh, this Wednesday afternoon. The first piece here, I'm glad I waited to do the podcast a little later in the afternoon today because we have finally some confirmation about trade deals going on with Japan. President Trump and Prime Minister Shinzo Abe met today in Washington, D.C., And they have officially agreed to go ahead and open negotiations on a bilateral trade agreement. Japan said they confirmed in a joint statement with the United States that they will open negotiations for a bilateral trade agreement. U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer called this a very important step in expanding relationships with Japan. And Secretary Perdue also made some comments today saying this is welcome news since we know that the export income is critical to the financial health of agriculture. We don't yet know what exactly would come of a bilateral trade agreement, but I'm sure agriculture will be an essential piece of that. So it's very exciting there. In other trade news, we've got some releases here. We've got a little bit of word here from, again, uh, Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer saying that on Friday, the administration is going to officially publish the text for a bilateral trade deal with Mexico this coming Friday. So seems that um, Canada is not going to be part of the NAFTA deal. That is very abundantly clear. Instead, it's going to be a bilateral deal with the U.S. and Mexico. So officially, the Uh, trade office has to publish this text 60 days before it's signed into agreement so Robert Lighthizer said we will they will officially release the text Friday which will be right before October 1st and October 1st is that 60 day period or starting October 1st is that 60 day period when legislators get to look at it Congress will get a chance to look at it and that still leaves the door to get the agreement signed before December 1st, which is when Mexico's President Nieto will step out of office. So it's going to be really important there. And of course, as we've mentioned before on the podcast, Canada, or, um, Congress has said that they're okay with this. They're okay with pursuing a bilateral trade deal with 
Mexico alone. Um, but it seems that Canada is really not coming to the table. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer said he was pessimistic, even more pessimistic than usual, and really played down hopes for getting a NAFTA deal with Canada in the coming days because I believe with them releasing the text on Friday, that's it. I think if Canada comes to the table after that, I'm not sure what would happen. I don't know that NAFTA would be what we would be in then. I think maybe it would, we would have to establish two separate um, bilateral trade deals or potentially, yeah, I'm not sure because I know Mexico really wants to get that done before President Nieto steps out of office. So some good news, some bad news there for the day. In other news, let's see, I'm trying to think if I have any other trade news. I guess I've got a little bit of other trade news. Not good trade news, unfortunately. When we look at what's going on with China, it looks like India may also step up and try to fill some of the gap that we have left in China's economy. India has made statements that they are trying to strengthen specifically their agricultural trade with China and said on Tuesday that they are trying to basically fix the imbalance between the two countries. Um, but they cautioned that because India has high prices and India's farming products are still high priced compared to U.S.'s, it's going to be a very major obstacle for them to get into China's good graces, so to speak. So definitely could be a market and market expanding for China, but I don't think at this point in time it's going to take up a lot of the um, the the slack that we've kind of left out there. So China last year imported $12.5 billion worth of products from India while exporting about $51.1 billion worth of goods to India. And that is definitely a large trade imbalance. So really looking to uh, fix that, but I don't know if that'll happen or not. In other trade-related news, I guess we do have quite a bit going on today. As we mentioned yesterday, quite a few countries were meeting with the U.S., the EU, Japan, China, Germany, Mexico, I think a bunch of the big powerhouses um, were meeting with the U.S. yesterday at a WTO meeting, and it appears that the U.S. stood up for themselves, and this uh, article I'm reading said China was not mentioned by name, but the country they referred to it as the country renowned for its state trading enterprises, non-tariff trade barriers, and forced technology transfer schemes came under joint fire yesterday from the Japan, from Japan, the U.S., and the European Union. So Robert Lighthizer worked to defend our stance, the U.S. stance on the Farmer Assistance Program and why it uh, came to fruition. And apparently why this matters is this statement did do a good job to boost the Trump administration's efforts to confront China with tariffs and actions and, and really try to defend why we put those tariffs on China in the first place. I think it sounds like it was somewhat well received, so we will continue to see what comes about that meeting and if other countries still have concerns about the farmer assistance packages that we have put in place. Speaking of farmer assistance, the farm bill is a top concern right now. Folks, this farm bill expires this weekend, and it does not look like a new farm bill is going to be before that expiration. 
the four principals from the House and Senate Agricultural Committees, those four folks that are leading the way here, leading the charge for the 2018 Farm Bill, met for the first time in two weeks and said that it's unlikely that Congress will act before the current law expires this Sunday night. And it's going to be a little interesting here to see what happens because there are some government agencies, they're mostly smaller programs that will go without funding and others will go without implementing authority. However, the USDA said that they are taking steps to wind down some of these programs temporarily. The FSA office has issued a directive to state and county offices to stop finalizing new contracts or accepting applications for CRP or Conservation Reserve Programs after Friday. So if that's something that you've been thinking of, I think I might get into my FSA office before Friday and get some of those things done. And I guess going off of that, they are saying that they still want to have this thing wrapped up here by midterm elections. Their negotiators are saying December is still their timeline. Um, when the current Congress is expected to adjourn, they want to have it finalized before that, and the House is going to adjourn this week until after the November 6th election, so it's going to be interesting to see what's going on there. Uh, no, At this point in time, negotiators have do not have any additional meetings scheduled, but House Agriculture Chairman Mike Conway said that he is planning to stay in Washington, D.C. next week and will remain available until October for additional negotiations. So I think one of the things here that we need to keep in mind when we're looking at the farm bill uh, going into this election is things could change around a little bit. And what I mean by that is uh, currently um, Conaway is the chairman and Collar, Colin Peterson is the ranking member, ranking House member, if Democrats win control of the House, then Conaway could become ranking member and Colin Peterson would become chairman. So going to see what's happening there with that. This is definitely going to impact some midterm elections. I think, as we've discussed before, a lot of the legislators who are up for re-election are nervous to get too involved or make the wrong choices, make the wrong commitments here for the Farm Bill. Uh, because of some of those re-elections. So we will keep you guys posted. Uh, the one thing I was interested or, or curious about, because we know here and they mentioned the FSA offices are going to potentially be running a little differently after Friday, is what's going to happen with the USDA assistance package, since that is obviously through your FSA office. I think that's going to be interesting. I think we definitely need to get some FSA office people on here to talk about what's happening with the farm uh, with the farm assistance package what's happening with the government shutdown or the not government shutdown but the farm bill shut down the farm agencies going to be interesting moving forward another piece of kind of fun news here when we look at our friends in Central America they've been struggling with apparently very low coffee prices and they're considered a coffee crisis at this time Starbucks has stepped in and committed 20 million dollars to farmers in Central America they announced this commitment just earlier this week to temporarily relieve impacted smallholder farmers with whom Starbucks does business until they say the coffee market self-corrects itself and so these funds are going to go directly to some farmers in Nicaragua, Guatemala, Mexico, El and El Salvador. 
to basically subsidize farmer income during the upcoming harvest season. So really neat there to see Starbucks step in. Let's see, I think that that just about does it. I have one other quick piece of news here. It's kind of a news, no news type of piece. And that is the Trump administration is expected, or rumors are trickling around, that they're expected to announce within the next coming weeks, within the coming weeks, I should say, next couple of weeks here, a new policy that would lift the summertime sales restriction of E15 or that E15 or 15% ethanol gasoline blend to be year-round. And rumors are floating, of course, that President Trump will announce this policy change potentially in Iowa in the coming weeks. That's what we keep hearing here is, quote, in the coming weeks. So we don't know for sure yet if that's going to happen. Of course, we hear this all the time, you know. This has happened multiple times. Oh, we think it's coming here in the next couple of weeks. So I don't know if we should get our hopes up too much yet, but it is a possibility. That is all of the news I have for you guys today. So let is, let's hop over here and look where the market's closed for the day. And of course, our markets are sponsored by our partners at the Zaner Group. We like working with them. We hope and think that you would like working with them too to make your marketing a little bit easier during these turbulent times, go ahead and give them a call today at 312-277-0050 and learn how their strategies can protect your bottom line. Looking over across the grain scene, some mixed numbers throughout the grains. Starting here in the corn pits, December corn closed down three quarters of a cent at 363 even, while the March also closed down three quarters of a cent at 375 even. Soybeans saw some strength today, closing up in the November contract four and a quarter cent at 8.50 even, while the January closing up four cents at 8.63 and three quarters. In the Chicago wheat pits, down day today, just a slight down day I should say. The December contract lost three and a quarter cent at 5.17 and a half, while the March lost three and a half cents at 5.36 even. Hopping over to the livestock pits. Strength all the way down the board until we hit the lean hog markets. The October live cattle contract up a dollar fifty-two and a half to close at one thirteen eighty-seven and a half, while the December contract closed up a dollar sixty-five to end the day at one eighteen eighty-five. In the feeder cattle pits, the September contract closed up forty-two and a half cents at one fifty-seven oh five, while the October closed up a dollar eighty-two and a half to end at one fifty-eight thirty. And of course, in the lean hog pits, as I mentioned, a little bit of weakness here. Starting off with the October lean hog contract down 22.5 cents at 62.20, while the December down 52.5 cents to end at 57.22.5. And rounding out the afternoon here with the Class 3 dairy contracts. The September contract lost 4 cents at 16.10, while the October gained 4 cents to close at 15.93. Now for today's interview, we're going to be talking to Aaron Steele, one of the founders of Goats on the Go, who we've had on the podcast, but they have some exciting new business expansion going on, so we wanted to bring them back on, so let's kick it off to Aaron. Well, we've talked about Goats on the Go before as a project here in agriculture, and we're going to be talking about it again today and how these goats are meeting their end destination, so to speak. We've got Aaron Steele on the line here, one of the co-founders of Goats on the Go. Aaron, for those listeners that haven't heard the original episode where we talked to you, give us the 10,000-foot view. What is Goats on the Go? Sure, yeah, happy to. Uh, Goats on the Go is a targeted grazing business. 
or a goat rental business, some folks like to call it. Um, and simply, we use goats to control unwanted vegetation for our customers. So instead of having to use some machinery or um, chemical herbicide to take care of unwanted and invasive vegetation on properties, uh, our customers are able to hire us, and we bring in a, a herd of goats that varies in size depending on the size of the project. And we tackle that vegetation kind of the natural way by putting uh, these amazing creatures to work doing the thing they were created to do. Gotcha. And uh, and so just for our listeners' sake, how long has Goats on the Go been in the goat rental business? We founded Goats on the Go for in 2012, so this is our sixth grazing season. And um, each year we're, we're amazed by the demand and very pleased with the market. Um, and we, we love our customer base out there, just really pleased with the kind of folks who reach out to us um, and want to use goats instead of some of the other methods available to them. Right, because you guys are doing this in, in both commercial settings but also in agricultural settings. Is that right, Aaron? Absolutely. Our customer base ranges anywhere from a suburban type of customer who might have just a little half-acre woodlot in their backyard on their home property all the way to major conservation groups and uh, public entities that hold public land and want to match want to manage it for its natural resource value, but also for uh, agricultural customers, in particular uh, farmers who who have pastures and are grazing cattle and perhaps sheep but are having trouble staying on top of their brush problem. Um, that is a somewhat frequent customer for us as well. So we can uh, help do some pasture improvement just by adding goats to the existing livestock on a pasture. And now, Aaron, that kind of leads right into the Goats on the Go, your new uh, innovation, your Kickstarter project. We've talked about the grazing, but, of course, if goats are out there eating, you know, grass and, and uh, you know, woody shrubs all the time, eventually they're going to grow up and they need to move along. Tell us a little bit about your Kickstarter project and uh, what that next phase of Goats on the Go looks like. Yeah, we're really excited about this. You know, when we started Goats on the Go, we, from the very beginning, wanted to be farmers. We wanted to produce food for people. Um, and so that was a goal side-by-side side with our um, commercial grazing operation that we were offering to the public. And, uh, you know, we've been selling goats. Uh, we are a meat goat herd, and we've been selling goats for meat for, well, since the very beginning, Um but at a relatively small scale and selling them through the traditional commodity uh, product routes, you know, at livestock auctions, a few off the farm here or there. Um, but, you know, we finally got to a point where we said to ourselves, look, we, we've built this really great brand around something that we're really excited about and that our customers are really excited about, and that is the sustainability and conservation benefits of uh, our targeted grazing operation, our commercial grazing operation. So why are we not selling the ultimate end product under that same brand um, and touting the same benefits when it comes to um, turning these goats into food for people? And uh, so that's what we're really excited about now. We have launched a Kickstarter campaign uh, to help us capitalize a new venture 
which is putting meat goat cuts into boxes to be shipped to customers right to their doorsteps. Um, we're calling them butcher's boxes. And, again, those would just have a variety of cuts, everything from, you know, prime um, uh, loin chops all the way to some amazing sausages, uh, all tucked into one box and shipped to your door. Aaron, walk me through what what – I guess what cuts of goat meat that people like, and then also what can you compare goat meat to? Because they always say, you know, like frog legs taste like chicken. Um, a lot of people have ate lamb, but goat is not a, as quite quite as popular of a meat source as some of the other livestock that we see raised on farms. You're right, but we think it's poised to be. Um, people have been asking us a lot lately since we launched the Kickstarter, well, what does goat taste like? We'd love to support um you and your effort to produce this really sustainable meat, but you got to tell us a little bit about goat, and uh, we're happy to do that. Goat, I think, probably falls midway between lamb and beef in flavor. It is, um, you know, probably a little bit richer, richer and deeper flavor than beef, uh, but it actually is, I think, uh, much milder than lamb in many cases, and it is a little bit more forgiving as far as um, you know, I could, I could go to my own kitchen and, and cook goat meat in a way that tastes delicious, whereas lamb is a little more challenging for me. I love it in a restaurant, but I've never been able to do it well at home. So, uh, we think it's, uh, it's just a delicious product. It's, it, we think is the best steak we've ever had is a good lamb chop or a good goat chop. Um, so we're very excited about that. Looking out, so the Kickstarter project, you're getting uh, you're getting backers to come in. This is going to help you really get the meat business off the ground at a retail level. Once the Kickstarter ends, what do you see the market being? How are you going to supply people with goat meat, either in central Iowa or around the country? Well, we really believe that we will have some national appeal here with this product. We think that we're selling the most sustainable meat that can be produced. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the multiple benefits that goats deliver through their whole lives when they're raised our way. Uh, now, obviously, that means we don't have an unlimited supply of goat meat raised the way we do it inside of a commercial grazing operation, replacing herbicides, uh, fighting invasive species of plants. There's only so many goats we can produce that way, so it is probably going to be something that we offer seasonally uh, and we'll have a limited supply of each year. And uh, we anticipate that we're going to have a fairly tight following of customers who return to us each and every season to order their butcher's box of goat meat just in time for the holidays. Uh, And we'll see how far we can stretch the supply after that. You know, one thing we probably talked about the last time we visited was that we are growing quickly as a targeted grazing operation. And we have now 16 affiliates in six states in the U.S., that operate independent hometown targeted grazing operations under the Goats on the Go brand. So in other words, we are constantly expanding the supply of goat meat raised the way we want to raise it uh, and that we can stand behind and say, this is the most sustainable meat you can get. This is meat you can feel good about putting on your table. So the supply continues to increase. Uh, but then again, you know, it, it's it's a bit precious goat raised this way. So uh, we expect to offer it uh, probably from October through February of, 
of most years in the future. Aaron, when you look at folks or customers that are buying goat meat, is there any correlation? Because typically when I think about goat meat, I think, um, you know, a lot of ethnicities, specific ethnicities eat goat meat like Muslims or Hispanic populations. Do you see any correlations between that and the butcher boxes that you're selling? That's a fantastic question. Yeah, definitely. A lot of the demand for goat meat in the U.S. is coming from folks with cultural backgrounds um, in which the the purchase and slaughter and butchering of the goat is actually part of the whole process that they want to engage in. Um, and so typically, uh, you know, just using broad generalizations here, people who grew up with goat oftentimes are seeking out a whole live animal um, to, to process on their own. So we're curious to see over time here how our market for the butcher's box and the traditional market for goat in the U.S. overlap. We think there's a lot of people who, given the opportunity to try something new, um, or to have the convenience of it um, processed into cuts and delivered to their door will just really, really enjoy that and appreciate that and be able to make goat uh, a more common thing in their diet. Now, Aaron, before we let you go, can you tell us a little bit about what the Kickstarter offers are for inter- for listeners who are familiar with the process? You pony up a dollar amount, and rather than getting ownership in Goats on the Go, you get a uh, what would you call it, Aaron? You're you're making a purchase, right, a- ahead of time. Right, absolutely. Kickstarter calls it rewards. Ah. So uh, by by backing us on Kickstarter, you're saying I really value this business idea and I want to see it be successful. Um, and so, in a sense, you're investing. But as you said, instead of getting equity in our company, what you get instead is a um, a a reward that is roughly equal in dollar value to what you invest. In a way, you might think of it as pre-ordering your butcher's box of meat from Goats on the Go. Um, and by pre-ordering, we're able to know what the demand is going to be and what we need to invest in some of the, the upfront costs of getting into this food business. And uh, so that makes it immensely uh, more simple for us to get started and get rolling and get some of those upfront costs taken care of, knowing that we have customers who have already backed us and and want to get that amazing meat delivered to their doorstep. Aaron, before we let you go, how can folks find your Kickstarter and donate to your cause? If you go to kickstarter.com and search for Goats on the Go, they have a pretty handy search uh, window right at the top of the page, you'll come up with us pretty quickly. And um, then you'll be able to read all about our company and about our efforts and what we're trying to do, more details about how our goats are raised, and processed, um, information about the local butcher we're using, local family-owned uh, butcher to, to make this happen, and you'll be given a list of possible rewards. There are various combinations of, of uh, our, our butcher boxes of cuts as well as some sausages and some other opportunities to package things together based on how much you want to contribute uh, to our efforts. Awesome. Well, folks, definitely check that out on Kickstarter. Aaron, we appreciate your time today, and good luck with the uh, business expansion. My pleasure, guys. Thanks so much. Well, again, a big thank you to Aaron Steele. It's very exciting there. I, um, Mike and I were talking about this after the interview, which we cut, I think, a week or two ago, but interested to know your thoughts on goat meat. I think Mike's thought was 
not his favorite. And I've only had goat a couple of times, and I was pretty little, so I don't really remember what it tasted like. But new and expanding market, it sounds like. So interested to see what your thoughts are. You can always find us on Facebook and on Twitter to share your thoughts with us, share any comments, questions, concerns, or recommendations for future podcasts that you may have. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Ag News Daily. You can always find us online at agnewsdaily.com and we have a great contact us submission form there i promise you we check those i get those straight to my email inbox and we'll answer those promptly so with that folks have a great day i'm going to let you go